I'm Louisa Rorschach. And I'm Brittany Tuft. And this is That 70s Showdown. Five, six, seven, eight. Hanging out. Dun, do, 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 do. Down the street. Dun, do, 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 do. The same old thing. Dun, do, 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 do. We did last week. Dun, do, 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 do. Not a thing to do. But talk to And here we are back again with episode two of That 70s Showdown. So last week when we did our 30-second recap, you went first. So would you like me to go first this time? Would that sure. be more fair? Whichever you want. <sighs> okay. You got a timer? No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I will, though. Okay. And I'm going to count you in on three, two, one, go. So the gang is watching TV in the basement, and then Kitty comes down to do laundry. She mentions that it's Eric's birthday, and Eric is like begging her, please do not throw me a party. Kitty's coy. She pretends that she's not going to do it. Later in the kitchen, Eric says that he wants a cassette player, not an 8-track for his birthday. Jackie guesses that Eric and Donna kiss, and she gives Donna advice on what gift to give him. Lori is in the basement, and Kelso has a huge freaking boner for her. Eric makes a deal with Lori that he's gonna, she's going to tell them not to throw a birthday party for him, and then she gets the Toyota anyway. But then, oh, birthday surprise happens anyway, and Eric gets an 8-track, and it sucks, and Red forces Kitty to leave the party, and she freaks out because the kids are unsupervised. And and Donna, oh, I missed the last part. I was so close. Well, maybe you can do better. I doubt it. I told you you were going to win this every single week. That was not a lie. And in three, two, one. Go. We're going to start this by saying that wherever Fez is from, you get livestock for older women when you marry them. We're finally going to meet Lori in just in time for Eric's birthday. Kitty cannot handle her baby growing up, and while doing laundry, kind of expresses that throughout the entire episode. Eric's friends are obsessed with Lori. Cassette, not a track. Surprise party, please no. Then we have a boner dream. Lori is clearly the fan fave. $30 and the Toyota? Yes to the surprise party, because it's happening. But we're going to get an A-track, no cassette. Parents leave kids alone. Imagine mayhem. We need beer. Eric and Donna split a candle. Damn it. You did it with two seconds to spare. <laughs> See, you just like, you cover a lot more. Oh, one day. Do you think you, I think you won this one because you like actually got to the end. Except, well, okay. But what do we leave out? Did we leave anything out? I left out about Jackie knowing that they kissed. Oh, yeah. And giving Donna advice. And that scene's hilarious when they, she like drags Which her Which is the also car. great because they get into the Vista Cruiser because he is smart. Yeah. Yeah. I usually always imagine cars as women, but I imagine the Vista Cruiser as a man. Yeah, I totally see the Vista Cruiser being a dude. I love the part <laughs> where Lori's in the basement and all the guys just like start drooling over her. That part is just freaking. I think it's cool to even see Hyde kind of lose it to just, Lori. Just a little bit, just because like you'll he, see the rest of the series that it's them bickering. So I love that you get like the win over Hyde with Lori. Yes, he definitely. He's not going to say it, but he's got a little bit of a chub for her. Yeah. Just a little bit of it. He can't resist. Who no doesn't? one can. A woman no in, one can. In, with no pants on. But I, I actually, the one thing that I think we did kind of forget was that at the very end, the moment of Donna and Eric, like he, when she gives him the birthday gift, it's interrupted by the Kitty, Kitty coming, coming in drunk. After drinking, what, Tom Collins? Two Tom Collins, and she normally only drinks one because right. she was just so anxious about how the kids are doing at this party. Right. <laughs> oh, bless her heart. Kitty is such a stereotypical great mom. I'll say that until I'm blue in the face. Like, I just, I love how she goes about everything, and I love that, like, she'll listen to Red to a certain point, and then she's like, no, screw you, I'm the mom. Like, I'm, I'm the mom. throwing this party for right. my baby boy. Right. Uh, she, like, loses it when Midge is like, he's almost a man. She, like, freaks out. Right. 
Which I think that's real. I mean, it's hammed up for the show, but it's also, that's a real and the uh, mom reaction. It is. And on top of that, he is the second-born child. And as the second-born child, I can tell you that is totally freaking realistic. Like, that is... That parents don't want you to grow up? Right. Like, Brian hit 18, and Brian got, you know, you know oh, that's so great. I hit 18, and everyone was crying, you know? <laughs> so... Well, sucks to suck. But I think that actually is a really good segue into our theme. Because our theme is growing up and coming of age. Coming of age stories, which I think I think are scattered in multiple places throughout this episode. And it, it really resonated with me because my 17th birthday was also a surprise party. I've never had a surprise party. I didn't I, think they were real. No, they were. Oh, I wanted one so badly, but you can't ask for a surprise party right. because then it's not a surprise. But so I had no idea. I really had no idea. But then I got the flu. <laughs> and so I was in bed with the flu and my mom was like, come on, like we have to like, we have this point, we have to go do this thing. And I was just like, no, I really don't want, I'm sick, mom. Can we do this thing? Cause she was being vague about it. I don't even remember what she was trying to tell me we had to go do. But of course I have the flu. I want to stay my ass in bed. I want to die for a couple hours. Yeah. Like, no mom, it's my birthday, whatever. I don't care, but like, I'm sick. I want to stay in bed, piss off. And so she had to get my two best friends to come over and like try to get me out of bed. But I'm a stubborn little bitch. And so I refused. And so they had to tell me, they had to tell me, they were like, Louisa, you have a surprise birthday party. You need to get your ass out of bed. We are going to the bowling alley because that's where everyone is right now. Get your butt in the shower, put on something pretty, and pretend to not die for two hours because your mom planned an entire surprise party for you, and I'm not going to let you fuck it up. And I was just like, oh, okay. I guess, I guess I'll shower now. I, I guess I can get out of bed for that. But it totally ruined the surprise. Yeah. And like that, my only surprise birthday was ruined because I had the flu. That's shitty. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of shitty. But I feel like to bring it back to the show, I, I wanted a birthday party, but I got sick, and that just that totally ruined it. Meanwhile, Eric didn't want a birthday party, but he got one anyway. So I think the lesson we can get out of this is that we both have great moms who like tried really fucking hard to like make a coming-of-age moment special. We didn't think I was going to make it to my 17th birthday because I got diagnosed with lupus, and they thought I was going to die. Oh, fuck. But totally made it because now we're, I'm actually, hopefully we'll be approaching 27 next year. But um, my dad had a bunch of people come to the house and he barbecued. It, was, it wasn't a surprise party. Like I knew it was happening. You're 17? Yeah. Well, oh, cool. when I was, yeah. And then um, he let my friends drink in the yard. I'll never forget that. He let them all have one Bud Light each. <gasps> wow. I thought that was like the tightest, like the tightest shit in the world. Like we what were a like, good dad. Depends who you ask, I guess, right? <laughs> How did your dad hand other than giving your friends beer like my mom was pretty chill i think about me turning 17 she no I'm the, I'm the only female so no um Mm-mm. so your your family did not handle it well no they weren't they were crying you know like oh you're a woman now like oh i've been no. a woman since i'm 13 like let it go you know like i've been <laughs> that here. ship has sailed okay i'm that- here you guys need to catch up they did eventually. So it's sort of like how Kitty had her little, her little cry fest. Yeah, my dad wasn't as dramatic, but he was definitely, like, you know, weepy-eyed. So other than it actually, the episode centering around a birthday party, which is a pretty obvious, on-the-nose, coming-of-age moment, mm-hmm. what other moments do we see that deal with this idea, this theme of getting older? I love the idea that Midge kind of pitches that he's becoming a man, but mm-hmm. he's still having wet dreams. <laughs> you know, like, because yeah. that's kind of something that's so closely tied into, like, being a young boy. Like, you don't know how to work your penis yet. <laughs> so I love that yeah. Eric, like, on the cusp of his 17th birthday is still struggling with 
boners. And, you know, he wakes up and literally it looks like two tits on a plate because of the way she made the eggs. Oh, so funny. So I thought that was a really necessary, um, not necessary, but I just thought it was, it added a lot to the episode just by yeah, like the touching dis- on that subject. The discomfort. The discomfort of aging, yeah. the discomfort of your body growing and right. stuff, and that kind of that and doesn't leave you as quickly as they may make you think. Not at all. What else is there? Oh, oh, oh! It like opens on a joke about age when they're all in the basement and they're talking about Eric's birthday, and then someone says, "Oh, Donna, you're a month older than him," and. Fez has this hilarious line, but in my country, it's good luck to fall in love with an older woman because they come with livestock, which like I just thought that was hysterical. But but Donna definitely says only by a month. She gets really defensive about it, and as a as a woman who has not intentionally, it just like just so happens have dated a lot of men who are younger than I am. Like there definitely is a stigma around that. that even I think, for just a month, yeah. Even for like just a month, being a month older, and especially when they're when you're 17, that's so you're so tender and delicate, and you don't want any reason for anyone to be able to make fun of you, right? And especially your friends, because who's better <laughs> making fun of you than your homies? Like for real. Yeah. Shout out to my homies who shit on me every day of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for doing your jobs right. Right. Um, I think Sorry. another big thing about age is. When they're talking about Lori's friends at the dinner table. Mm, yeah. And I feel like if that girl was married at that age, getting pregnant in the 70s, it would not be a big deal. Mm-hmm. Like, even, like, because Lori's, we're supposed to picture her, she's clearly over 18 because she's in college and she's drinking legally. Mm-hmm. But, like, she's young enough that she's not, like, she's not, like, 25, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think it's interesting in the in the age aspect of how it changes according to their morals. Like, if you're married yeah. and you're having a baby. Then that's fine. It doesn't, you can be 13, who cares? But, like, this girl being, you know, 18, 19, 20 years old mm-hmm. and then getting pregnant, it's like, oh, her life is over. It's like, oh, how could so It's I not think, even about, I they think, don't even discuss how her life is over. It's just more of, like, oh, how, how could she? That's so shameful. That's such a mistake. But it kind of sounds like she died. Like, yeah. that's, like, I, Kitty says something along the lines of, like. She was such a nice girl. Right, yeah. Yes. She ain't As dead. if she got into a car accident and like it flipped and she didn't make it out. So I think that's interesting discussing age in this episode because varying on your situation, I feel would be would bring up a different conversation about age. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that about how they're judging her. Well, obviously they're judging her. The friend, I think the friend's name is Janice. They're judging Janice because she's not married. But I didn't think about how they would be okay with her, like her age in there. How about the factor is another thing about age and you touched on this, is the drinking age. Right. At this point in American history, the drinking age was 18, not 21. And that, the introduction of that in this episode, I think, because they t- in ep- episode one, they talk about wanting to get beers and beers being super important, but they really touch on the drinking age being 18, that Lori is of age. And, and she's Eric going to hang and, out with, with her, her legal friends, friends and drink beers. And Eric and all of his friends are not. That definitely brings the viewer in and reminds us that like 18 was the age to be and they definitely all the characters struggle with that until they all turn 18 at least they didn't have to wait to be 21 like the rest of us oh my fucking god total side note so I studied abroad I was one of those lucky kids who got to study abroad and I studied abroad when I was 20 and I went to Europe and like you can do whatever the fuck you want in Europe there's rules in Europe and then I come back and I still have seven more months before I turn 21 and so oh god that law is just kind of so backwards because if you can like go defend your country at 18 then you can drink at 18 yeah I like if you're old enough to sign up to be like yeah I'm gonna go kill these people with these guns then you're like old (laughs) enough to be like "Ah, I think I want a corona right but but do you you know the history of why it's 21 no 
So essentially, and I'm totally going to butcher all of this, and we can put corrections in the next episode, but essentially the government made a deal. They're like, guess what, states, if you want any money to improve your highways, we will only give you money if you increase the drinking age to 21. So like your call states, you don't have to increase the drinking age. They basically just like it was... Is that extortion? Is that coercion? I don't know which it's, term. I have to tell you, that's one of the cons- like the big things that my dad holds on to from his youth because he was able to drink at 18, and he was actually almost drafted at 17, which... But um, that's, like, the one thing that my dad has not given up from being, like... Um, well, I call him the Stephen Hyde of our house because I think that's who my dad was. <laughs> oh, like, But... Um, that's like the one thing. He's like, I can't believe they make you wait till you're 21. It's un-American. And it's like, hell yeah, it is. So everyone should just start drinking at 18. I work, Go with God. I work in education with teenagers. So I'm going to say this publicly. I do not condone underage drinking. Usually, though, by the time they're 18, you know, they're out of your care. I do not <laughs> condone underage drinking at all. No underage drinking, then? <laughs> no underage drinking. No underage drinking. <laughs> But anyway, so these kids are trying to get some underage drinking done. Right. And they can't because they're underage. And I think it's crazy that after Lori had to ask uh, Red for gas money, Mm -hmm. she was unwilling to take his double the money offer to go get them beer. She just would honestly. She's, just a she's, she's the kind of person who would cut off her nose to spite her face, yes, and like she, she just is. hates Eric so much that she would like turn down money. And we and know I, she would not. There's very little that she won't do for money. Very little she won't do for money, but she'll turn down money just to like piss off her brother. Right. But speaking of money, I actually did a little bit of research on this as well to see what the comparative amount is because Red slips Lori a twenty, and then she's like, "Is that enough for gas?" And he slips her another ten. So that's thirty dollars. Thirty dollars in nineteen seventy six was the equivalent of like what $130 is now. So he just casually gave her $130 after his hours got cut back to pay for gas. Like that just seems, that just seems crazy. It, it doesn't make any financial sense, but I guess it shows how much Lori has read wrapped around her little finger. Oh, okay. So I guess since we're still on this age thing, it would probably be a good time to discuss how age the difference in age has affected Eric and his parents mm-hmm. of them not knowing like what's hot on the music scene and then what hot what not yeah but um, I think it's interesting that even though he is begging for the cassette player they still come up with the A track and Kitty's like how could I forget you wouldn't stop talking about it like mom no so I think so that age touch. disconnect between parents and kids is interesting too and I think that's really relevant and really real like as a teenager I'm sure you can recall one point in your life where your parents were just not getting like so example I, my mom and I just got new cell phones this week and she, this is her first iPhone. Bless. I wish her luck. And like trying to explain this to her. My, my mom's pretty, pretty good at stuff, but like trying to explain an iPhone to someone who's never had one before. And like, she's like hitting it really hard. I'm like, mom, you just, you just need to touch it. You don't need to like punch it. Yeah. Oh God, parents and technology, and then it Which, makes. But then it makes it's me relevant. It, yeah, it makes me wonder though. But what technology is going to exist when I have kids that I'm going to be? I don't think we'll like, ever have that dilemma because we grew up in an age of if you don't adjust to technology, you will be left behind. I think we will adjust to technology the rest of our lives. So our kids aren't going to look at us and be like, oh my God, my mom has no idea how to use the the, the phaser forty one or right, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like my mom doesn't know how to use my invisible taser or anything like that. No, but I think that in different ways that disconnect will be there. You know, through music and movies, mm-hmm. trends, things like that. But not with technology. Maybe with like useless technology that will be like, no, I don't want to use the flying vacuum. I'd rather use the one you plug in. But like, I don't think it's going to be a thing where we don't know how to use. 
hmm. technology because God, I hope not. I don't because I, I feel like that doesn't that just make you feel old. Yeah, and plus, I mean, but there are older people who have adjusted to technology and don't need anyone's help to. That's true. Get through it. My our parents clearly are not one of those people, but um, <laughs> they do exist. I hear. I, I heard. I heard the good news. So I mean, I think age is super important, but I love at and not to like too fast forward here. I love the innocence of the candle at the end because I think that is. One of the moments that, without jokes on the show, that you kind of realize how young and innocent they are on the cusp You're of so seventeen. So sweet. It's no. a sand candle. Like, oh, cool, a right. sand candle. Yeah. Like, I just think it's just a moment where you kind of realize how nervous and timid they both are. Like, it's mm-hmm. not one person's more nervous or anything like that. Yeah. That it really kind of shows that innocence of seventeen, which a lot of people will claim that you've lost by the time you're seventeen. So mm-hmm. I really liked that aspect of age because I think that's something that whether it happens when you're 15 or 17, it's something that everyone kind of goes through of that coming of age of first dealing love. with a crush and your first love and. The awkwardness around it of like, derp, derp, do I give him this? Derp, derp, do I pretend to like blink sexily and totally not pull it off? And I Um, love that she has to do this around like a group of other 17-year-old boys. I mean, like she gets away from them, but I love that that's like the audience for this entire (laughs) opening, you know? Like I love that. The kindest critics. Right. (laughs) 17-year-old boys are just like some of the nicest people I've ever met, yeah? If I ever proclaim my love for someone, I hope that there is a choir. Of 17-year-old boys. boys (laughs) (laughs) Um, Oh, last note on age. This is a correction from last episode. I admit I was wrong. Mila Kunis was only 14 when she got her role and they started filming the Mm -hmm. show. And I had said 15, but she was 14 years old. And so she's a 14-year-old playing a 15 or 16 year old because she's supposed to be in about 10th grade. She's supposed to be only about like a year or two younger than them. So I think she's one year. She's supposed to be one year behind so them. So 16, let's, let's yeah. pin her at. I mean, but... And all still, the other actors are between 17, 18, 19 yeah. years old. And so she was... Either barely legal or just they're there, you know, like so... I couldn't imagine, like, the dynamic of hanging out while you're on the set at 18, hanging out with someone who's 14. Like, what was that like? Yeah, like, I'm trying to... And her hours of shooting had to be different, too, because you can't overwork children. But she lied. She lied to say she was 16, so... But, I mean, even so, at 16, it's 18, really. I mean, they can make you work a couple more hours at 16, but Uh I wonder if she faced any repercussions for that. I don't know. Mila, call us, answer. Let us know. But I just... I'm trying to think of, since I work in education with high school students, I'm trying to think of... I'm picking a senior to think about, and then I'm picking a freshman, a ninth grader, right. a 14 year old to think about, and just their maturity levels, their development, and just their life experiences. And it's actually really admirable that Mila Kunis pulled it off she and did. did such a good job. She pulled the wool like, right over their eyes. And, and I that mean, show she, would be incomplete without it her. It really would. And like, she looks like a baby. She looks so, so young, which, f- fair enough, she was really young, but she pulls off that role with such confidence. Yeah that you completely buy it. She was made, uh, born to be Jackie Bernhard, like for real, <laughs> for real. I hope, I probably, I'm, I'm pretty sure she is glad that that's over and she's doing more projects, but I, Definitely, I, but I can't imagine another actress in that me role. Me either. That's how I also feel about her role in Family Guy though as well, which is funny because originally it was played by Lacey Chabert for Mean Girls. Really? Mm-hmm. Didn't know that. But she was like, this show's not going anywhere, I'm out of here. And Mila Kunis was like, I'll in. take it, I'm in. And now she makes like $3 million an episode, so. Ugh. Good for you. Good for you, Mila. Mila Kunis all around. This now has turned into a Mila Kunis fangirl podcast. Actually, we should probably start that up on the side. All right. There's a lot of material to cover there. I know a couple of people who will be in on this, too. Excellent. But first, we're going to take a quick music break so Brittany can tell us all about cassettes and eight tracks. 
When I decided I wanted to talk about the history of cassettes a little bit, I knew the first person that I wanted input from was my father. I walked into his bedroom excited to get some inside scoop from someone who was a teenager in the 70s as my dad graduated high school in 1974 and was a thriving, pot-smoking, vibrant teen. My dad was actually the height of his friend's group. I tell him that all the time, but he doesn't really... Uh, when did you get a cassette player in your car? I asked, and his reply was actual, literal laughter. And he said, I guess around 1993 when I could afford one. Cassettes first became uber popular in Europe in the 1960s as it was developed in Belgium originally. America wasn't quite ready yet. Folks couldn't understand it could be recorded on as well as play music. My dad said most people still weren't big into them because they were pricey. However, everyone was kind of launching after one. In 1966, about 150,000 Americans had one in their home and actually didn't even know how to use it. Many used it to send tapes to relatives rather than snail mail, so we were sending grandma, like, hey, send nudes via <laughs> cassette, <laughs> cassette players rather than, you know, through normal stamp mail. Uh, Germany was the first country, though, to mass-produce music into cassettes, creating a boom of technology imports from Japan, which we actually... That's where we get a lot of our music today as well. In July of 1966, they were they tried to introduce the music cassette. Many thought the cassette butchered the sound of music as they had been used to on records and eight tracks that had a gritty sound and the noises of the band in the studio. So when Eric would get his first cassette player, I think the first thing he would notice was he wouldn't hear like, you know, like Todd Wagner being like, okay, one, two, one, two, three, four, like in the studio starting it. Um, many people weren't ready to adjust, though. In 1971, the Model 201 tape deck was introduced, which is the tape deck that we know and use still today. It finally had a noise reduction system for recording music onto tapes at home, which meant it didn't pick up the sound around it. The format was deemed more credible, and cassettes exploded across America. They were more effective, more, more convenient, and not to mention portable. It gave many consumers more freedom in listening to music on the go, which is the birth of the Sony Walkman. This defined the change of music from the late 70s to early 80s. So Eric begging for one is the most funniest thing ever because he could have maybe had listened to about nine artists on cassette. Cassettes were also credited with helping the punk music movement as they were easy to record on and were extremely durable. For about a decade and a half until the popularity of CDs rose in about 1996, cassettes were the main source of music consumers bought, which in my opinion means it must have been a pretty good product. Thanks, Brittany, for all that context. And now for our modern woke or 70s joke, we're going to be talking about Kitty's sort of dream or hallucination segment. So this is after Red drags her out of Eric's birthday party, and they're over in Bob and Midge's kitchen, and they're drinking Tom Collins, and Kitty is just freaking out. She's like, oh my god, what if they run out of chips? What if someone gets hurt? What if this? What if that? And Red asks her, like, what do you really think? What's the worst that could happen? And she goes into this whole imagination land spin where the kids are just suddenly, it's like Sodom and Gomorrah. Everything yeah. is awful. Yeah. <laughs> and they're all going to hell and they're doing horrible things, engaging in horrible behaviors. And Jackie and Donna are wearing these afros. They look like, right. who do they look like? What, what? Uh, they look like um, white Beyonce's character from Austin Powers, Foxy Cleopatra. Yes. Her, her, or Foxy yeah. Brown, the actual yes. star from the day. But um, and, and I also think it's interesting is that the dresses that they're wearing are very Diana Ross. Ooh. Like very, you know, like something that she would have worn to stunt on stage. You know what I'm yes, saying? Yes. So, and then. And then the guys. So it's Fez. Oh, Eric is also tied up in a chair. So right. all of this is and happening he's to dressed. him. He's dressed normally. Not as he was at the party, though. He isn't? No, he's in like a plaid button-up type thing. So I think oh. that's an interesting contrast, too. Is that oh, they I kind hadn't of noticed that they, they cleaned him up. So yeah. he looks like innocent, cute little innocent Eric. 
and he's tied to a chair, so all of this is happening around him against his will. And then Kelso and Hyde are in these pimp suits. Like They really do look like Party City, something that you pull out of a freaking bag that's polyester, like pimp <laughs> suits. That like might they're like be purple where their and whatever. Like they're like horrible colors as well. I think that might be where the costumer got them. Really it wouldn't surprise be me because there's City. no way someone wasted the time to put that together, but yeah. And then Fez has these epic platform shoes on and a little drawn on mustache and his like foreignness is over the top. Yeah, over the top. And, and Kitty's speaking for him in the stream sequence. Yeah, and so like all the girls are like, we're just going to give Eric venereal diseases and the boys are talking about drugs and then Fez is over there making a long distance phone call right. on Eric's mom's phone. and then To whatever country yeah, he's from oh. because we can never really figure it out. And then he gets so frustrated that he takes a gun and shoots the little statuette of the littlest hobo. Not the little Hobo, no! And it's just—it's so over the top, and it's humorous, and it's supposed to be funny. It's supposed to be an exaggeration to show how ridiculous Kitty is being. But at the same time, I feel like all of those things are kind of low-key coded racist. They are, and I mean, when you break that down, number one, discos and dance because white people cannot dance. <laughs> okay, like that—that that essentially is a huge part of black culture, and like I, it's something that you know John Travolta made cool in Studio Fifty Four to and blow off of you know whoever's titties. But I just think that like it was the not so humorous, humorous part of it was that while she's imagining them being bad a lot of the traits that they have taken up are African-American traits. And I just mean clothing-wise. I don't mean, like, character traits. I just mean, like, little details and, like... Like the fashion of right, the times. the fashion. The afros, the hairstyle, and, and the fact that... The, the only colored person on screen, the only person of color on screen is the one who actually winds up shooting the gun as well. So it's just, like, all very coded. So modern woke, not so cool. 70s yeah. joke, a little, little funny. I mean, yeah, it is a little bit funny. But then, then it makes me wonder, so... The last part of what we're supposed to do is we have to bring in this being filmed in the 90s. Like, appropriation, was that something that was being discussed in the 90s? Not really. Okay, so kind of the start of it. Have you, you're going to laugh in my face right now. Have you ever seen Save the Last Dance? No, but I know all about okay, it. I, know I just know haven't about seen it. it. Um, <laughs> what's her name? It's a modern Othello, Julia Stiles. Julia Stiles. Okay, so her love interest, the black gentleman that's in that movie whose name I also forget. Is it Omar Epps? Mackay I'm Pfeiffer. Not, is it Mackay Pfeiffer or Omar Epps? Oh, fuck. I'm not sure, I and like I don't want to wanna say up. that it's one person and then be absolutely friggin' wrong. But I feel like we need to pause and, <laughs> and look that up. <laughs> look that up because I feel soups guilty that I don't know. Let's see. Sean Patrick Thomas. <laughs> I was completely wrong. Oh, Mackay Pfeiffer was in Eight Mile. Yes. Okay. Seminem raps. Yeah. Okay. Okay, that was another appropriative um, thing. Okay. In Save the Last Dance, Julia Stiles is approached by Sean Patrick Harris's sister in the movie, and mm -hmm. she's like, what are you doing here? Like, why are you coming around here to steal our culture? And this movie came out, like, 1999-2000. Like, it was before 9-11, I'm pretty sure. Mm -hmm. So I do think that the start of appropriation was starting. I just don't think that mainstream white people really gave a shit. Oh, I mean, black and brown people have known about appropriation forever. It just, like, but it wasn't... That movie, Save the Last Dance, being directed by a white director, I think it's very interesting that they touched on that. Mm -hmm. So I think it was the start, but I don't think the revolution would come until much later. Hmm. Oh, was Carrie Washington his sister? Mm-hmm. Look at all these stars. But yeah, Carrie Washington like approaches her and she's like, you know, you're coming into these clubs and you're dancing the way that we dance. Like you wanted to go to Juilliard and do ballet and now you know you're doing R and B hip hop type tap. 
how dare mm-hmm. you, you know? And I, so I feel like it being the nineties, like I feel like the nineties was a good time for a lot of black youth to get their voice. I think it's when a lot of, there was actually, I feel like I, I've said this before to friends, like the nineties were so black. Yes, that's what the I was just 90s say. was I feel like it's so the first time that black so people black. had a mainstream like there microphone. Was, like, do you remember Fubu? For yes. us, by us, like the whole Fubu generation. There was just a lot of black TV on. I was watching Keenan and Kel every week. Fresh Prince, fucking classic. Wayne's Brothers, different world. Arsenio, Martin, yes, Oprah, o- Oprah, UPN Nine was basically the black channel. Moesha, Sister Sister, all of these shows that came out and had black stars. Family Matters. All of these different girlfriends, things. yes, like it was just oh, living color, like all of these shows. The nineties were the blackest decade, but at the same time, a lot like, of whitewashing. A lot of whitewashing was happening, but then also, um, like all of like police brutality, it was going crazy. The riots were LA going riots. crazy. So there was there was OJ so Simpson trial. OJ Simpson. There was so much. The nineties were a very black we decade. Nineties podcast next after the Mila Kunis one. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I think like in today, they Mm -hmm. would not be dressed like that. If Walt Kitty was, if the show was shot in 2018, I don't think they would be dressed in pimp suits and afros. But would they, I think that while it's not PC to put them in that, I think it is showing a very real and very time appropriate fear of white America. They thought their kids were going to turn into black youth. No, but just like. (laughs) Being afraid and like people today, this is actually still relevant that like people who don't live in diverse areas associate blackness with crime. Yeah. And so it's not that far fetched actually for Kitty to like, whether she's conscious of it or not, because so much of it is just like fed to us subliminally that we don't even realize that we have these prejudices, that we have these preconceived notions. I don't know if she's conscious of it, that the character is conscious that she's doing this. But it's actually not that crazy. It's not for, that uncommon. You're right. For her to be like, oh my God. I love the house. The kids are alone. It's turning into Everyone's, a den of sin yeah, and right. then to then equate den of sin with, with thing, blackness. With blackness and with black culture. Huh. So, so again, modern woke, not so much. But in the 70s, you're right. That sounds very on par for that decade. Definitely. I guess the next part is we have to rate it. But after re-listening to last week's podcast, I sort of thought that a scale of 1 to 10, with Danny Masterson being, like, an exception of, like, above and beyond, like, I think this one goes to 11, if we're going to be quoting from This is Spinal Tap. So, like, the regular scale is from 1 to 10, but when it goes really, really, really beyond into Danny Masterson territory, then we can say he's a full Danny Masterson. So we're going to... Doing a scale from one to ten. So on a scale from one to ten, how problematic was this? I'm gonna say a four. A four? I'm gonna say this is forty percent problematic because I definitely think that they could have made the black culture that they kind of stole look worse. But if we're gonna rate the Fez part of it, that people who are out of the country on a scale of one to ten, that's probably about a six. Mm, yeah, they did they, they did, did him dirty. pack the immigrant with a weapon, so they did him dirty. They made him like the worst character. And he was just shooting figurines for no reason. So Not the littlest hobo. No. <laughs> I, I guess build. I guess I'll agree with you on a four. I was sort of wavering between a three and a five because it's not that obvious, but maybe that makes it even more sinister. Right, yeah. 
Because even like if the so, writers didn't realize they did it, I feel like that's still, that's kind of worse. Yes, that they didn't even realize that, that they, they did were it. Doing so it, that right. just proves its point. It's embedded into you. So maybe it's a five. So let's put that up a five, but they really did Fez dirty, and I just want to make a point that that is just a little bit above it mm-hmm. because Fez is the only person of color on this cast until they all, like, um, hides black dad and Donna Andrew, makes a yeah. black friend. Dad. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, poor representation of people of color and then poor representation of people of color's 70s fashion style choices, but, I mean, I don't believe that every single black man in 1974 was walking around in a pimp suit. I assume well, they owned other things, you know? I've seen pictures of my dad <laughs> from the 70s, and it looked pretty, pretty... Pretty spot on. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> anyway. Cool. So moving in to our burn of the week. What's sizzling now? So what do you think for burn of the week? Who do you think is taking the crown for a week two? Honestly, so I'm... T- both of the ones that I was considering have to do with penises. Okay. There's one where Hyde is joking about Kelso. If we're at the beach, Kelso would be in the water right now because <laughs> yes. of this huge boner for Lori. Right. But then Lori makes a joke when they wake him up. Hey, little brother. Nice tent. Um, I think well, Lori definitely takes too. the cake yeah, just okay. because... Your guy friend who's the same age as you making a joke about your boner like can be embarrassing, but your older Next sister who all of your friends thinks are hot right after your parents have walked out of the room, Lori pwned his ass. Like, there's nothing he could have done because he was just in such a state of shock of waking up with a raging erection, having his parents right there with the eggs that look like breasts. <laughs> and then, like, you know, like, I just feel so I feel like Lori was Queen Savage this week, in my opinion. Lori wins. Lori, Lori is crowned winner, which I love. I want to give Yay, Lori all the props that Lori. we can right now because <laughs> they do she, her so dirty, like right? Her. Like she isn't like a blithering idiot yet with no direction in her life. Like she is a college student who has friends and who awesome. owns the shit out of Eric. Bam, love it. Well, that wraps up episode two, Eric's birthday. Next week in episode three, we will talk about political engagement, family bands, and patriotism. See you next week. Thank you for listening to That 70s Showdown. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Louisa Rorschach. Our logo was designed by Annie Daly. For more information about this episode and other episodes, please go to our website, thatshowdownpodcast.com. There you'll find show notes about every episode and links to our Spotify playlist. If you think our show is totally groovy, please tell your circle about it and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at That 70s Showdown. I'm actually really bad at saying my own name. Me too. You're going to kill it. <laughs> I'm going to look at you. <laughs>